we finished up, uh, in theory, uh, Luke chapter 16 on Wednesday night, but I just felt compelled to go backward just a little bit and cover something on the weekend service here that I didn't want y'all to miss. Um, and we're, we won't, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what we talked about on Wednesday night, if you were a Wednesday nighter watching or, or here, but I, I'd like to go a little deeper because the topic is important. So let's turn to Luke chapter 16 at this time. Luke 16, as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible. An old mountaineer lived up in the mountains with his wife, and he was kind of a grouchy, sort of um, not, didn't live a saintly life, if you know what I mean. Uh, but lying on his deathbed, uh, his wife was there, you know, sitting at his side, and he said, honey, go and, uh, but the fireplace, the fourth rock up from the, uh, from the, um, the right, uh, pull that out. I've got something there. Would you go get it? And she walked over there, pulled the rock out. And sure enough, there's this big jar full of cash. For some reason, he stored all his cash in this jar. And he said, man, I, I, when I die, I want to take that with me. Um, and she said, well, you, you know, what do you want me to do? And, and he said, well, I want you to go up in the attic and put that right over my bed so that when I you know, go up, I can just grab the jar and take it with me. Um, and she said, okay, she put it up there. Well, of course, a couple weeks later, he died, sure enough. And, uh, and you know, afterward, the funeral's over, everything, she was kind of curious and she went up in the attic and, and sure enough, she thought, oh boy, I knew it. I should have put it in the basement. <laughs> Did you know that uh, hell is no laughing matter? Uh, it's real. Uh, we, you know, it's funny how we have um, lost power in words because the way we use words and talk about words and even joke around about words, you know, but, you know, people use the word hell derogatorily all the time. We'll talk a little bit about that. But the Bible teaches, uh, you know, and, and, and by the way, this is, this is one of those topics that um, most, most of us don't say, hey, I think I'll teach on hell today. Um, but when you go verse by verse through the Bible, it's something you really can't avoid. And one of the things I want to remind you, if, if you're one who might think, if, you're, if you kind of just have come in just the first time here at Athey, um, I'm going to show you a bunch of scriptures today. But um, you, to understand what, what hell is about, you kind of have to go verse by verse through the whole Bible and put the pieces together. The Bible has a lot to say about hell, and it's, it's often confused. And now there's churches that don't even believe in hell. Uh, there's pastors that won't say the word hell in, in a sermon anymore. Um, in fact, it was um, interesting, J.C. Ryle uh, from the 1800s, that, that um, preacher who was somewhat famous back then, he said, the watchman who keeps silent when he sees a fire is guilty of gross neglect. The doctor who tells us we're getting well when we're dying is a false friend. And the minister who keeps back hell from his people in his sermons is neither a faithful nor charitable man. I agree with that statement. Uh, a pastor that's afraid to talk about hell or won't talk about hell is doing a disservice. If we think lightly of hell, then you will think lightly of the cross. If you know that what hell is and its horrid, uh, terrifying future, you, it makes you love Jesus all the more and thankful for the saving work of the cross. But if you don't understand the perils of hell, and if we think little of the suffering lost souls that are gonna go there, um, then we, we've missed it. We've lost it as Christians. What is hell? There's confusion around it. You know, you'll hear people say, like I said, derogatory. People, people say, what the boop? Why do they say it? Like, what, what is that little phrase from? Well, I'm gonna help you give them an answer. 
When they ask, what the poop? You can say, oh, let me tell you about that. <clears throat> I'm gonna help you with that. It, it's really what Jesus, Jesus is gonna deal with this topic of hell. And Jesus, um, isn't it interesting? The most loving person that ever walked the planet earth talked more about hell than he did about heaven. See, some people will be telling, well, Brent, that's not very loving to talk about hell or it's not very nice or uh, it's not very warm and fuzzy. Well, the most loving person that ever walked the planet talked about hell. And this is one of those places where Jesus talked about that. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. We, we did kind of a, a study on this on Wednesday, but we had to kind of hurry. So that's why we're backing up and we're gonna seal the deal here, Lord willing. So it starts in chapter 16, verse 19. It says, there was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. You got to picture this person, purple. Does anybody remember purple in the Bible? What is it a type or a symbol of? Royalty. Uh, that's why they put the purple robe on Jesus when they were mocking him as king of the Jews, but it was a mockery. But this, this is a legitimate, probably a young princely type character, uh, you know, and he's living sumptuously. Man, he's just living large, you know. And, and then you get a juxtaposition of the exact opposite in verses 20 and 21. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Um, this is a pretty pathetic sort of image of a poor guy, just this beggar sitting there wanting the crumbs from the table. He's all sored. He had some kind of, you know, skin disease or whatever, but sores and dogs. I mean, like, does this get more gross? Um, you've got the extreme highest of high and the lowest of lows. Um, now, now, the, the, the reason Jesus is telling this, um, uh, this story, and I'm not gonna call it a parable, I'll tell you why. And by the way, most Bible scholars don't think this is a parable. They think this is perhaps a real story that actually happened. Um, it might seem sensational because it's stuff that only Jesus could know. You'll see what I mean in a second here. But the reason this doesn't see, it's not received as a parable, even though it's in the middle of some other parables that are told, um, there's, there's detail in this that uh, most parables don't have. Like for example, the, the, the poor guy, we know his name, Lazarus is given the, the name. Uh, Lazarus, um, interesting guy, um, um, God is our help is what Lazarus means. But, um, but all that to say, uh, uh, we've got this guy named. And so that's what, you know, is, and it also doesn't say it was, it was a parable. Like, like a lot of times when Jesus spoke in parables and Jesus spoke another parable, doesn't say that about this particular one. But anyway, all that to say, um, so you got this extreme, um, you know, compare and contrast. The rich man living sumptuously, the poor guy with sores. And then, it, and then the big moment, verse 22, it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Perhaps the biggest question of this morning is, are you going to be, when you die, are you gonna be carried or buried? Um, what's the difference? Well, notice there's a big difference. The poor guy that's got sores be licked by dogs, he's carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Well, what in the world is Abraham's bosom? We'll talk about that in a second. Um, is it heaven? Not as we traditionally think of it. Um, we'll explain it. But notice what the, the other guy, he's not carried, he's just buried. Uh, and and uh, that's the, the big question. Are you ready 
when you die, do you know where you're gonna go? The Bible teaches um, cover to cover that there's really only two options. You'll be given eternal life or eternal death, but death doesn't mean just your heart stopping. It's, it's, a, it's an ongoing sort of death. We'll talk about what that looks like in a minute as well. So you basically got this. Um, and by the way, this is the great equalizer. Death is the great equalizer. Isn't it interesting to picture if you're, if you're thinking about, you know, um, this, this rich guy, suddenly the rich guy and the poor guy, death sort of levels the playing field somehow. Um, let's back up. Do you remember on Wednesday night, there's a verse here that's, that's uh, to me, one that every parent and all of us should really take heed because the Lord Jesus defined something that I think we've forgotten altogether. Check out verse 15. In verse 15, it says, and Jesus, he said unto them, you are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. What is it that we highly esteem in our culture? Taylor Swift. Uh, you know, how do I know that? Well, I'm not, I don't read the celebrity gossip and you shouldn't either, but I do read the news. Maybe I shouldn't do that, but right now, Taylor Swift's in the news. Why? <gasps> is she part of the LGBT community and the world is in an uproar? What about Taylor Swift? Oh, and, and, you know, it's this huge, big debate and everybody's all into this thing and it's gone viral and blah, blah, blah. But mom and dad, are your kids Taylor Swift fans and do you care that, I mean, think about this. She's been pro-LGBTQ for a long time now. Some of your parents are like, no, she's just a nice country girl used to sing country songs. Not anymore. She's got quite a powerful agenda um, that is very much an abomination to God. Um, I, and, and I could just go on and on about celebrities and, and how so much of what they stand for and talk about is so opposite of, of God. It's an abomination before God. Isn't it interesting? Jesus calls these people out in the first century saying, um, that which is highly esteemed among men, celebrities, uh, the rich and the famous, the people living sumptuously, um, that's what we celebrate and we're into that. But the Lord says, yeah, but to me, that's an abomination. And then he tells this story of the rich person and the guy that's the beggar, that's got nothing but sores and dogs licking them. And then what happens? Well, one is carried and one is buried. This is, this is really something. Well, by the way, Proverbs chapter 22, verse two says, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Where, where do they meet together? In death. We will all stand before the Lord someday uh, and when we meet death. Um, and just because we have material possessions as America's, Americans uh, doesn't mean God condones who we are or our behavior. Um, that's something that we're gonna see here. Um, do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 24? We, we talked about this a few months back. It's easier for a rich man to go through the, a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, this, is, this is not necessarily saying that if you're rich, you're gonna go to hell. Um, I do believe the Bible teaches um, that it's more likely, perhaps. Uh, if you're rich, you better be real careful because there's a gravitational pull, um, perhaps more if you're rich and wealthy to hell than perhaps if you're poor and in need. Well, verse uh, verses, uh, 25 goes on here. It says, um, pardon me, verse 23. It says, and in hell, he lift up his eyes. This is the, you know, the... Um, the rich man. In hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, 
for I am tormented in this flame. Does this sound like hell? Um, there's flame, there's torment, and it's, the Bible even calls it hell. At least in the English translation, that's what this is called, hell. Now, this is the part of the problem with our uh, English translation. We, we, we have often one word for several different Greek words, which are all different places and stuff. And I, I wanted to help clarify. And, and if you went to Wednesday night, we did talk some about this. So uh, remember, repetition is the mother of all learning though. So this will be helpful to review again for some of you. But, uh, but I wanna tell you, um, you know, we've got this, um, this place called hell, but isn't it interesting? He can see Abraham and Lazarus. Where did Lazarus go? Well, they carried him, the angels did, to Abraham's bosom. That's what I said. What's Abraham's bosom? Well, as it turns out, and this is, I'm gonna to try to help bring some clarity here. Abraham's bosom is part of Hades. What? Isn't Hades hell? Yes, but it's also part of Abraham's bosom. There's, there's sort of two things going on here. Let's keep reading. I'll show you what I mean. Um, so, so this guy's saying, send Lazarus over, let him just dip a finger in water. I mean, does that sound horrible? Is anybody thirsty now? But verse 25, Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime which is kind of the most important part. What did you do with your life? In thy lifetime, uh, receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted. So one of the things we know about Abraham's bosom is the place of comfort. He is comforted and thou art tormented. Well, how can they be in the same place talking if, if one's comforted and one's tormented? Well, that's verse 26. And beside this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed or like a wall or some kind of um, impenetrable burial, barrier. Um, there's a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So this is explaining where they are. They're in this place called Hades, uh, uh, and, and there's two components to it. There's the, there's the torment side, and then there's the Abraham's bosom side. Um, now, um, by the way, um, uh, this wall uh, is, is impenetrable and you can't pass through it. This, this should, by the way, I think, end the discussion on things that people have invented, religion has invented, things like purgatory, lighting a candle, praying for someone to get out of hell, pray, paying indulgences, you know, as they did historically for someone else's sin. Um, you can't do that. Once a person's in hell, they are there. I hope you understand this. This is an important part of the, what the Bible teaches. It's the final place where you go after you die. Um, as far as as far as you're kind of locked in, whether you're in Hades or uh, the other ones I'm gonna introduce you to. Um, so, so this guy, he, he's, he's, he realizes, man, he can't even get water over here. So this is his next plan. He goes on in verse uh, 27. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, Father Abraham, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, to my family members. Send, send Lazarus over to my family. Uh, for I have five brethren, and that he may testify unto them that they also come into this place of torment. Man, if, if he can't put water in my tongue, then at least, Abraham, send Lazarus to go tell my brothers, don't go to this place. Uh, don't do what I did. Don't let him end up where I am. God forbid any athe creaker after you die, wish that you could go back and tell your family, don't go the path I've gone. This is like one of the most horrifying things I can imagine. I've done 
I've done some funerals over the years that have been heartbreaking. I love doing, I actually say, I love doing funerals when it's an old saint that loved Jesus and all the family members knew that they loved Jesus and served Christ their lives. And man, that's a celebration. Uh, we're just rejoicing there in heaven. Um, and it's, it's such a light and beautiful thing. I'm sure there's sadness because we're gonna miss them, but it's just, you know, we're gonna be with them again someday. Like the whole thing is so beautiful. I've done the opposite kind of funeral as well. I remember one of the first funerals I did when I was a young pastor uh, years ago, um, there, uh, I had a wedding in the morning, a funeral at noon, and another wedding at night uh, on a Saturday. A busy day, uh, quite a, an emotional roller coaster, especially in this particular case, because the funeral was a, uh, a drug deal that went bad in front of a 7-Eleven store. And this guy was you know, trying to uh, buy drugs and he ended up getting stabbed and killed right there in front of 7-Eleven. So I'm doing this funeral. It happened to be the coldest day in history, like in Southern Oregon. I remember it was like, like 17 degrees or something. We're by the graveside and all these, these people just grieving horribly. Um, his girlfriend was there, pregnant out to here. And there was kind of sort of half gang members, half uh, family members grieving, but it was just this grief and, and freezing and, and it was just brutal. And, and then, um, and then um, you know, the, the, the pregnant girlfriend was grieving so profusely that she, I think, induced labor. Like she, she kicked into labor right there, bro water broke. And suddenly we're in this you know, freezing cold weather, uh, calling paramedics. It was, the whole thing was just depressing and brutal. Have you ever wondered what a pastor is supposed to say at a funeral like that? What do you say? Well, I'm not a liar. Uh, and by the way, you should probably live your life so the preacher don't have to lie at your funeral. I'm just telling you that right now. Because <laughs> I'm not gonna lie and my pastor staff, we don't lie. We're gonna say, oh, dearly departed brother. We don't, we don't play that kind of nonsense. Well, what do you say? Uh, what I said at that funeral is what I would say something similar today. And that is, um, if, this guy, let's just call him Bill for a second. Sorry if your name's Bill. Um, <laughs> let's just say Bill, I say, if Bill could come back from the grave today, what would he tell you? What would he tell us? And that's what I would say, I, I, I'm convinced whether, and by the way, between you and me, uh, whether he went north or south, I'm still convinced he would say what this guy's wanting to say to his family, right in our story. Tell my brothers, don't do what I did. Don't, don't live your life in the way that I lived my life because this place, hell is real. The movie came out, you know, heaven is real, uh, but somebody should do a movie, hell is real too, uh, because uh, the Bible talks more about hell even in more detail than, than heaven in so many ways. So I, I share the gospel, talk about the glories of heaven and how salvation has come through Jesus Christ, a faith in Christ and repentance of sin. And, and, and you know what's amazing? Those funerals, as depressing as they are, We've seen people come up afterward and ask, what do I need to do to be saved? Um, there's something real about seeing your dead friend going into the ground. Um, well, this is where this guy is at in our story. The rich man saying, go and tell my, my brethren. But listen to Abraham's um, sort of response to this, that they said that they not come into this place of torment. Uh, verse 29, Abraham said to them, they, your brothers, have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. Um, and he said to them, if they hear, that, hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Oh man, Abraham's right here. You gotta admit it, if you read your Bible, did faith ever come to people by seeing a bunch of miracles? Did people, do people always just say, I'm gonna believe in God, like the Red Sea when it parted, did the Jews just immediately just say, we believe God from now and forevermore? 
No, like 10 minutes later, they're saying, oh, you brought us out here to die in the wilderness. You know, like this is just human nature. Miracles don't produce faith. Question, what produces real faith? Hearing of the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, the scriptures declare, and hearing by the word of God. This is what Abraham affirms. Abraham says, even if somebody comes to the dead, they won't believe. They have Moses and the prophets. That's another uh, description of the word of God. The law and the prophets was their version of what the Bible was back in these days. And if they're not gonna believe the word, which actually miraculously produces faith, they're not gonna believe somebody, even if they came uh, risen from the dead. Uh, interesting story, by the way, much people, John 12, nine through 11, of the Jews therefore knew that Jesus was there. So they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death because by that, uh, that by reason of him, many Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Isn't it interesting that some people believed Jesus because Lazarus raised from the dead, but the religious leaders said, yeah, we don't believe in Jesus. In fact, since he rose Lazarus from the dead, let's kill him. Is that a smart idea to kill the guy that Jesus just raised up from the dead? Uh, that was their plan. Uh, they were always full of bad plans. But this is an example how even if somebody raises from the dead, that doesn't necessarily mean that people are gonna believe. In this case, Abraham says, nope, um, you, you, your family's not gonna believe even if this, this Lazarus comes, this Lazarus uh, comes and speaks to your family. Um, so now this story here that we just read causes confusion. And this idea of hell is, is something people don't really understand. But I think it's important that you do understand because it's very real. We have made it less real by using the word hell. Oh, it's hotter than hell in here. Or what the hell? Or go to hell. By the way, I'm gonna demonstrate why you should never say that if you're a Christian who believes in the Bible. You should never say anything like that. Um, let me show you that. Uh, the word hell is, is um, you know, here, here in Luke chapter 16, it's, it's, uh, the first use here is verse 23. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Well, this word hell, the Greek word for this is Hades. And th now this is a list of the words, the biblical words um, in the original languages, generally, uh, um, what, what we see in the Bible. Um, there's five main, we could argue there's maybe one or two more even, but I'm just gonna give you the main solid five uh, words that is often translated into hell in the Bible. Um, Hades, Sheol, Tartarus, Abyss, and Gehenna. The, the first word, Hades, there is the word in the Greek in our text here. What is Hades? Well, Hades and Sheol are often put together. There's confusion on this one. Um, but if, if we can say in general, Hades speaks of the place you go of torment, a uh, place of, um, uh, you know, sort of, uh, of the dead is what they call that. Sheol often talks about the grave. Sometimes when you say, Hades is a Greek word, Sheol is a Hebrew word. Um, so those two words kind of go together when you see, in fact, there's places in the Bible where it says Hades and Sheol, like it's all in one big sweep. I'll show you that later. But Hades is the place where people go when they're dead. Um, now I got a quick caveat to that. Before Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, before that happened, anybody who died went to Hades. Even if you were a believer like Abraham. See, that's why Abraham can talk to this tormented guy and he sees Lazarus there. There's a great gulf between them. I don't know what that is. 
Maybe it's an invisible wall, force field or something. Who knows what that gulf is, but they can't pass, but they can talk through it. That's a weird deal. But they all go to this place called Hades, but there's a place that's torment and then there's a place of comfort. That's, that we can get that from Luke chapter 16. That's kind of the important part. So um, before Jesus rose from the grave, so, um, so um, there's two sides of this, the good side and bad side, you might say. <clears throat> now, remember, uh, Abraham's bosom was talked about here, and this is the only place in the Bible it calls it that, which is kind of interesting. Why is Abraham... Uh, the guy that's in charge of this place. Well, uh, there's a couple of reasons. We don't have time to go into this deep, but uh, Abraham was called the father of what? Anybody remember? Faith. Faith, right. You might say the Jews too. I was waiting for somebody to say that. He was the father of the Jews, but he's also called the father of faith. And what was it that we knew? We know uh, beyond the shadow of a doubt that Abraham was saved because the Old Testament says Abraham, Abraham was counted righteous because of what? Anybody? Because he believed. He believed God, and so it counted unto him for righteousness. That's what the Old Testament says. So before people died, knew Jesus would die on the cross for their sins and raise from the dead, if you were an Old Testament believer, that's what we're gonna call them, you would be saved, if you would, by that. So if you were an Old Testament believer like Abraham or David or you know, some of the Old Testament you know, prophets and stuff, if you died in the Old Testament, you would go to Hades, but you'd go to the... Abraham's bosom side. It's like Abraham's in charge of that somehow, or the father of faith is the owner of that somehow. Um, and that's where they would go. But if you were not a believer and you were in bad uh, standing and you died in the Old Testament, you would go to Hades, but you'd go to the torment side. That's the way it worked. Now, another uh, name for Abraham's bosom in the Bible is the word um, Paradise. So you'd say there's the bad side, and then if we put the wall there, you've got sort of the good side called paradise, the Greek word there, paradesos, uh, the, the part of Hades. This is what the Jew, this is the Jewish definition. Uh, they thought it was later uh, to be the abode of the souls of the pious until the resurrection. So that, that is uh, technically correct, really. Um, so you might say, well, Brett, does that mean then when we die, if we're a Christian, we go to paradise? No, we do not. And this is what we talked about Wednesday, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this. But did you know the paradise side of Hades was shut down and retired? There's no, no more use of this place. It was retired when Jesus died on the cross um, and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. How do we know that? Um, there's a bunch of scripture that you have to kind of know to fully understand what happened. Uh, Ephesians 4, 8 through 10 is one example where it says, wherefore he saith, when he, Jesus, ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. That's just a King Jimmy way of saying, set people free. And he gave gifts unto men. Um, now, now, now notice this parenthetical statement in verses nine uh, through 10. It says, now that he, Jesus, ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended far above uh, all heavens that he might fill all things. So Jesus brought those who were in captivity, if you would, led captivity captive, set them free, those that were in paradise. And where did he take them? What we would call heaven. He, he led them up to heaven uh, to, to forever be with the Lord. Um, and from the time Jesus died on the cross, descended first, then he ascended into heaven. So what was he doing for those days? He was first descending. Uh, anybody who was here on Wednesday night, what was Jesus doing, by the way, when he was down there 
for three days. Preaching to who? The evil spirits. Why would he preach to evil spirits? Was he trying to like have a spiritual crusade down there? He wasn't preaching salvation. He was preaching condemnation. This is again, other scriptures that we're gonna give you just for, if you wanna jot them down, 1 Peter 3, 19 through 20. Um, this is kind of a description of that, by which also he, Jesus, went and preached to the spirits in prison, which were sometime disobedient. Which spirits were disobedient? Uh, the, the, the demons during the time of Noah before in Genesis 6. Remember the whole Nephilim thing? They were particularly bad demons. So Jesus goes down there and it says, uh, those which were sometime disobedient when once were long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls were saved by water. That's Noah and his family. When did that happen? Back in, in Noah's day. I won't go into the Nephilim thing. We don't have time for that. But they were particularly evil spirits. Now. I believe they have actually even a, a, a perhaps deeper place than even just Hades where these demons were. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, so, um, so, you know, he's proclaiming truth. That's what word preach means, by the way, to proclaim truth. And that's what Jesus did. He was proclaiming, you guys are doomed. Um, and, uh, there's a couple other terms uh, for hell that we need to talk about. And, uh, and part of what Jesus did here when he went and preached to these demons, where are these demons? Second Peter 2, 4 indicates this. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, same people we're talking about, these demons, I should say, not people, but cast them down to, there's the word, hell. Um, so what word is this uh, in, the, in the original language? Um, these demons were cast down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. What's this all about? Second Peter is talking about the last days. And one of the things he, he's saying is in the last days, there's, there's the demons that are held reserved to the day of judgment, which is the tribulation period. Well, I'll show you that in a second. But this word hell is not Hades in the original language. It brings us to our third word in our list of words for hell. And that's this word Tartarus, um, Tartarus, um, Greek word Tartarao, which is the name of this uh, sort of, uh, the, the, the Greek definition is the name of the subterranean region, doleful and dark. And it sounds like something from uh, uh, Lord of the Rings or something. Um, but it's, it's a real place where these demons particularly are. Now, some people say, Brett, that's the same place also called the abyss in the Bible. Uh, this is not probably something worth arguing over, uh, and people can disagree with me on this one uh, if you want to, but um, some people say the abyss and Tartarus are the same place. I sort of see that the Bible seems to almost make it like there's sort of different uh, uses for each of these places, and I think the abyss is perhaps a different place. I'll tell about that. But this Tartarus place is where these particular demons are locked up until the tribulation period. I'll show you that in a second. Um, so is it synonymous with the abyss of Revelation? Well, I'll show you where the abyss thing comes from in Revelation 9, verses one through three. It says there, um, and the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fall from heaven unto earth and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. The, the word bottomless pit there in the Greek is abuso or the, uh, uh, the, the abyss. And he opened the bottomless pit, the abuso, and there arose a smoke out of the pit and as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. 
This is John seeing something horrible during the tribulation period. What is that? I'll, I'll just tell you a quick version. It sounds like a bad movie, you know, where big bugs are coming over there, people are running, ah, like this, this is horrible. Uh, but during the tribulation, I believe this is gonna be those particular demons that will be released uh, out of that abuso, the pit, um, uh, during the tribulation. Um, but that's where this word bottomless pit, we get that, the, the abyss. Um, now, there's another use for the abyss. Um, uh, does anybody know what else the abyss will be used for? Yeah, close to the, the final judgment. So, so Satan, during the millennial kingdom, Satan and his demons will be put away uh, for a thousand years, during the, but they'll be released for a short time at the end of the millennial kingdom. I know I'm getting into heavy stuff here, but, uh, but where are they gonna be for that thousand years? The, the abuso, that's where they're gonna be held uh, until that time. So that, there's a couple uses for that. But all that to say, this, this is the idea of hell. We've got Hades, Sheol, Tartarus, and then the abyss, um, the bottomless receptacle and the abode of demons, according to the Bible. Now, um, there is one other name that you should be familiar with. And perhaps this one is the most horrifying, if you ask me. Hades is bad enough, the bad side of torment. Um, so I told you paradise is retired, but the bad side of Hades is still up and running. The same place that the rich man went in Jesus' story here in Luke 16, I believe is still up and running, fully operational. But that place will be retired eventually as well, but it won't be retired in the sense that, oh, everybody's gonna, everybody's gonna get out of hell. Um, watch out for these books that people write. Read this book. Watch out for books, you know, people, I remember Rob Bell wrote the book, Love Wins, you know, and he wrote that, like, what was that, 20 years ago now? And the, the Christian church latched onto it. Oh, people will be able to get out of hell and God is so loving, he'll, he'll let them out and the people will go free. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. Um, if you're in Hades, there's a final place you are gonna go, but it's gonna happen much, much later. When's that gonna happen? Just like paradise was retired when Jesus ascended into heaven, um, Hades will be retired at the great white throne judgment. Uh, let me show you what that is. This is a judgment you don't wanna be at. If you're at the great white throne judgment, you are in big trouble for all of eternity according to the Bible. It comes from Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. As, um, and there we read, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose faith the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. That's, that's the rich and the poor that we were talking about meeting together, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened. Oh, two books, yep, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So um, you, you, there's these two books. I think there's one book of life. And if your name's written there, you're good to go, you're safe. But if your name, if, if the other book has all your works, then they'll be judged by your works. I'll show you how that, see, they're gonna be judged according to their works. And then if you read on there in verse 13, it goes on and says, and the sea, um, which is an idiom in the book of Revelation of the nations of the world, the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And note, death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. Uh, can anybody guess what the words death and hell are in the original Greek language? 
Hades and Sheol, good, that's exactly it. And it's used twice in this. It says, death and hell, Hades and Sheol, the death and the grave, uh, Abraham, not Abraham's bosom, but the bad side where the rich guy went. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. So the rich man, when is he gonna be judged? He's gonna be judged, he's already in Hades, but eventually he's gonna go to the great white throne judgment and be judged according to his, his works. Verse 14, and death and hell were cast, death and hell, Hades and Sheol, verse 14, were cast into the lake of fire. Anybody wanna guess what the Greek word for lake of fire is? Gehenna. This is the final sort of hell. In fact, when, you, when we talk about hell and clumsily kind of say, well, hell, fire and Satan and sulfur and all that, it's usually, we're thinking of what the Bible's talking about when, when it says Gehenna. That's the idea. So this is the last word that's important, uh, the Gehenna, the lake of fire. This is the second death. Just like if you're a Christian, you're born into, um, into death. But if you're born again, Jesus said, you must be born again, you have a, 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 a eternal life. But if you're not born again, you were born into death, you'll have a second death uh, that's eternal. Just like we get eternal life, there's also eternal death and suffering. I'll show you that in a second. So verse 15, whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That is Gehenna. Um, that's this word, this final word for hell that the Bible talks about. So um, important, what is this Gehenna place? Um, one of the things I would like to do my best to discourage you from believing these pastors that believe in and talk about total annihilation, annihilism, whatever they want to call it, where basically Gehenna, when you, when you, when you get thrown into Gehenna, poof, you just evaporate and there's no more consciousness. You just cease to exist. Um, there's a movement that's been around for a while now where people are trying to say, that's what hell is. You'll just cease to exist. Um, can I just say, that doesn't scare me. Uh, does anybody ever get sick of themselves? You know, for me, just to cease to exist, that's not the worst thing in the world. You know what I mean? If I just cease to exist, I think things would be a lot better. Um, you know, I'm not sure that would be a very scary thing for me. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that Gehenna is not a place where you will be vaporized into nothingness and you will have no consciousness. That is not what the Bible teaches. Let me give, hopefully, rapid fire here, seven uh, attributes of Gehenna that you should know about. Um, the, first, uh, the first attribute of Gehenna that you should know about. And you can jot down these scriptures if you wanna remember these things. Um, but the first one is, it's called a place of everlasting punishment. Not just, uh, you know, you're gonna be punished once and done, but it's an everlasting punishment. It says in Matthew 25, 46, Jesus said, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Jesus compares it. The people have life eternal, and then there's people who have eternal, everlasting punishment. It's not just a once and done thing, but um, that's what it is. Gehenna is everlasting punishment. Number two, it's also eternal condemnation. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness. We've talked about you know, the unpardonable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's a, a whole nother teaching in and of itself. Um, but it's the one sin that will keep you out of heaven by really rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, speaking against the work of the Spirit, which is to point you to Jesus Christ and to repent and be saved. If you don't do that, um, it says you're, you're in danger of eternal damnation. 
Now that's another word we've cartoonized. You know, it's some grandma in the Appalachian Hills, damnation. You know, it's like, it's like a joke, you know, the idea of damnation. But if you look up the word damnation in, in the Greek text of the Bible, it really is the same word that we would use for the word condemnation. You are condemned um, for eternity. That eternal damnation means e- eternal condemnation. Aren't you glad, Christians? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But for the people that are not in Christ Jesus, there is eternal condemnation. Um, and, th- and where is that? It's a place. Eternal condemnation is a place where they go uh, called Gehenna or hell as we know it. Number three, So not only do you have eternal punishment, eternal condemnation, but also eternal judgment. Um, Hebrews 6.2, I wish we could go into the context of this verse. Uh, Feel free to check this because um, it's kind of an interesting read, but I don't have time for all that. But quickly, it it just sort of throws in here something that's more about what happens if you're you're, um, not a believer. It says, of the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. One of the delineations of the person that is not saved is not only eternal condemnation, but eternal judgment. That's something that's part of uh, the judgment, the wrath of God upon a sinful uh, people. Uh, Number four you have uh, in Gehenna, eternal destruction and separation. You really could make this two points but I'm gonna make it one because it comes from this single verse in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. And by the way, this also should undo, if you think that it's just you're ceasing to exist and totally annihilated, um, these are the scriptures that kind of make me think, how can you come to that conclusion when it says, 2 Thessalonians 1.9, who shall, um, those, those who are you know, just gonna go to destruction, it says, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. One of the things that is is part of Gehenna's destruction, and that's where people see bread, it's annihilation. You'll be destroyed and you'll cease to exist. Yeah, but what's the second part? And the, the, the part of that destruction is you will be away from the presence of the Lord. Um, and from the glory of his power. Gehenna is a place where there's no glory of God and no God's presence. Even though this world you and I live in is dark and sinful and evil, the Bible does remind us, and and you and I know it to be true, we get to see little pieces of God's glory. You know, um, that's one of the reasons none of us have an excuse. The Bible says in Romans 1, you're, you're all without excuse because of the glory, even the glory of creation speaks of his glory. Um, when you see a beautiful sunset or the stars at night, you're like, oh man, that's beautiful. Um, you have no excuse. You're seeing something that God created and, and we, we get to see it. We get to see beautiful things of, that God gives us and, and being able to gather together like this and worship Jesus. And like, we get to see little snapshots of his glory as Christians. But can you imagine a world if all that's taken away? and there's zero glory, no presence of God, and that's an eternal condition. It's not just a once and done thing. Part of the pain of Gehenna is you will have that eternal separation from God. Again, annihilation doesn't allow for caring about separation. Um, So that's kind of an important thing. So you got everlasting punishment, eternal condemnation, eternal judgment, eternal destruction, and separation. And then number five, eternal fire. Matthew 18, eight, Jesus said, wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It's better for thee to enter into 
life, eternal life is the idea there, halt or maimed, than rather having two hands and two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Um, that's one of the de descriptions of Gennas, everlasting fire. Um, now, again, if you're being annihilated uh, in everlasting fire, Gehenna means you're just gonna cease to exist and lose consciousness, consciousness and all that. Um, what does it matter about the right hand or the right foot? Um, and by the way, this is not to be taken literally. I don't think you should go home and cut off your hands and feet. Uh, Carolyn Ingalls almost did that on Little House of the Prairie. If you're a Little House fan, uh, she was reading this verse. I thought, well, I got her, was, was she gonna cut off her hand or poke out her eye or something? Little House of the Prairie is not a good place to get your theology, just a little FYI. <laughs> but here's Jesus. Why, why would Jesus say such a radical thing? Because he doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He said, it'd be better for you to do something drastic and see, almost crazy and go to heaven than to keep yourself in total tact and, and, and yet go to hell where there's everlasting fire. Um, number six, on the points of Gehenna, you also have eternal torment. We see this in Luke 16. This guy's already there in Hades. But, um, but as it turns out, Gehenna is gonna be the same. It says there in Revelation 20, remember that's the chapter of the great white throne that everybody gets thrown into Gehenna. Verse 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. That's Gehenna. Where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Does that sound like annihilation? No, that's not annihilation. That's, that's you know, being tormented. Now, the annihilation you know, argument is, well, that's for the devil. The devil and the demons have to live for all of eternity being tormented, but, but people are gonna just poof, cease to exist. Well, they just made that up. I, I believe this is what the nature of Gehenna is. Uh, whether you're Satan, the demons, or the people from Hades will be thrown into Gehenna. It's not a, a place of just ceasing to exist. Uh, the Bible does not leave that implication. Um, that's just another reason why I don't believe it. Number seven, you have eternal darkness. Well, Brett, which one is it? Flame and light or darkness? Um, did you know that science has shown that some of the hottest heat that we can create is in the darkest settings, in the darkest conditions? Heat does not always require, or flame even, doesn't always require light, um, as it turns out. Uh, Matthew twenty two thirteen. then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, um, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, this is a description Jesus gave in one of his stories um, uh, about the nature of, of hell. So, um, this is seven, seven things. If somebody says to you, what the hell? Well, let me tell you, now, here they are. Seven conditions of what hell is. Um, that's why, you know, the reason I'm sharing this with you is I want you to realize this is not really a laughing matter. Um, you know, and, and people throw the word hell around. And I think, I think that's the way we do it as humans. We like to diminish the power of a word by throwing it out there sort of derogatorily. If people can, if they kind of wonder, I wonder if I'm going to hell. Well, I'm going to try to minimize what hell is, uh, kind of like a preschooler uh, saying, you can't see me. Uh, uh, that's what the person is trying to say, you know, what the hell? Or, or can you imagine a Christian knowing this is what the Bible teaches and a person saying, go to hell to someone? Can you imagine somebody saying that, knowing what this is, this is what it is? Um, by the way, more likely to be true in the case of the one who said it 
than the one who's receiving that kind of a word, go to hell. Like I, I can't imagine a Christian who knows the Bible using that kind of language, frankly. So who does go to hell? Well, the Bible tells us the devil and his demons for sure. Uh, Matthew 25, 41, this is an interesting thing to learn. It says, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Um, people say, if God is love, why would he invent hell? Uh, and they, they make that kind of false dilemma. Um, if God is love, why would he create a place for hell for people? Well, it says here he prepared hell for the devil and his angels, uh, the fallen angels is the idea. Um, now, this is where I know uh, the Calvinists uh, and the Arminianists or Arminian thinker, thinkers have always argued. And, and I don't, I, man, don't send me letters. I, I've heard all of your arguments. I, I'm just going to stand my ground and say, I'm a, uh, I believe in God's sovereignty. He predestinated, divinely elected, uh, eternal security. Like I'm, I'm a firm believer in all of those things. At the same time, I also am a firm believer that we have a choice to make, you and I, whether you're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. No, you don't. God's sovereign, he already chose. Just stop it. Read your Bible. The Bible is really clear. Uh, we are supposed to make a decision. Uh, choose this day whom you will serve, the Bible declares. Um, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, that God raised him up from the grave, you will be saved. So you have a choice to make if you're gonna go to heaven or hell. Um, I believe the sovereignty argument uh, is, is not even part of this discussion but it's still uh, a person's uh, decision that they're left with. And I, under I understand that, I, I read the Bible and some people try to cram their theology into something that I, I think is a false dilemma. But the point that I'm making is um, people say, you know, um, if God prepared this place for the devil and his angels, did he not know that people would go there too? Why do people go to hell? That's a good question to ask. Um, I call it pool poolside theology. Um, in the summertime, when you're standing there at the barbecue with your friends and suddenly you realize there's something up and you see some of your friends moving your direction and they're all grouping up and they're gonna throw you in the pool. Now, if you're like me, what do you do? You know you're going in because they're pretty outnumbered. So what do you do? I'm gonna grab everything I can, hair, shirts, fingernails, I'll grab whatever I can because I'm gonna take as many people in with me as I possibly can. Um, you're like the devil. Uh, well, that's, I think that's what Satan is doing. I think Satan wants to drag as many of humanity as he possibly can into Gehenna uh, with him because he knows he's doomed. Um, so, so it really is, uh, hell is for Satan and his demons and anyone's, anyone whose name is not written in the book of life. Again, we saw that in Revelation tw uh, 20, uh, 12. Um, who will have all men to be saved? That's, this is the Lord's heart. So, so this is where the, the God's sovereignty people that are saying, God, he knows who's gonna be saved and who's not gonna be saved. True. But it still says that the Lord would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for some people, only the elected people. No, he gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Um, this is what the scriptures teach. So that scripture I shared from Revelation 20 earlier, I, you know, when I saw the dead, small, and great standing before God, the books that were opened, that's the key. Um, when the books are opened is your name in the book of life and the dead, if your name's not written in the book of life, the dead then would be judged of those things which were written in the other books. And those are the books that are written according to your works. 
That's, that's it. So all that to say, you know, people using these, these terminologies, you know, it's, uh, if they say stuff like this to me, oh man, it's hotter than hell. I say, no, it's not. You have no idea what you're talking about. Um, you know, hell, hell is hot. By the way, did you know there's some, you know, cults and groups and people that don't even believe in hell? The Jehovah's Witness don't believe in hell. Uh, Watchtower publications um, teach that hell or Hades and Sheol, as they, they would call it, is not a place of fiery torment, uh, but rather the common grave of mankind, a place of unconscious non-existence. That's what the Jehovah's Witness believe. So they, they, they don't believe hell exists. Um, Christian science, don't be fooled by them, by the way. They're neither Christians nor are they scientists, uh, Christian science. Um, um, but they teach there, there's no hell. And, there's, and, and they also, this is a funny one. I, I don't know how they get pull this over on people. They teach there's no real pain and no evil currently in the world. There's, it's just something we imagine. We imagine evil and pain. Um, so don't talk about you know, bad things, only talk about good things because bad things don't really exist. Um, I heard a joke once, uh, a Jehovah's Witness and a Christian scientist end up in hell. The Jehovah's Witness says, hey, this place isn't supposed to exist. And the Christian scientist looks at him and says, I'm not here and it's not hot. Um, when people joke around about, you know, it's hotter than hell or what the hell, can I just say, um, if you're one who tries to laugh your way through this discussion, uh, old Charles Haddon Spurgeon said something I think is, is spookily powerful. He said, you may laugh yourself into hell, but you will not be able to laugh yourself out of hell. And that is the truth of the matter. Um, those that make light of, of hell and don't really want to deal with the reality of hell, I think they're missing out on what Jesus is showing us here in Luke chapter 16. Um, you scared the hell out of me, some would say. Um, if someone scares the hell out of you, should you be thankful? Um, some of you are like, Brett, you're just trying to scare us Sunday morning. Man, I brought grandma to church and here you are talking about hell today. Thanks a lot. You're trying to scare us. Um, but can I just say, uh, hell is a real place and it's the scariest place I could ever imagine a person ever going. Um, and I think we need to take an honest look at that. Uh, well, that just freaks me out, Brett. Well, good news. You don't have to be freaked out because the way to not go to hell is so powerful and so available. Like you just, it's, it's like to go to hell, you almost have to just be a horrible rejecter of Jesus Christ. God sent his only begotten son because he loved the world so much. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, you don't go to hell. If what? You believe. Now, believing in Jesus doesn't really mean you just believe that he exists. It's believing what he said and believing who he is. It's not just believing in Jesus, it's believing Jesus is the idea. And what is the idea of believing Jesus? Well, Romans 10, verse nine and 10 spells it out perfectly. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, that God raised him up from the dead. He went, that, the idea is you're, you're acknowledging he died for your sins. He, um, he rose from the grave and did all the things we talked about there. Um, if you believe that and confess that with your mouth, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the grave. It says, you will be saved. It doesn't say, hopefully you'll be saved, perhaps. It doesn't say that. It's a, it's, a, it's a done deal. If you've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart the Lord Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, period. 
So there's no reason for anyone to be afraid of hell. Um, but if you're unwilling to accept Christ uh, and re reject the one way, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father which is in heaven, but by me. The only danger you're in is if you think there are many paths. Um, Jesus said there's many paths that lead to destruction, but there's a narrow path that leads to life. Don't miss that. Um, I know you're like, thanks a lot, Brett, sermon on hell. But I would hope that if any of you are not saved or have never accepted Christ, or maybe if you are saved, that this might light a fire under you, figuratively, um, to, uh, to go and share the good news of the gospel with everyone you know. Hell is real, and so we as Christians should be busy sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Um, if you would, Christians be in prayer. Uh, I, I can't talk about hell and then not invite you to confess faith in Christ, to make that declaration of salvation through your mouth, from your heart. That Romans 10, verse nine and 10, if, if you wanna do that, I'd love to pray that with you and we, we would love to pray with you. I'm not gonna embarrass you or get you in front of anybody or sign you up for anything, but right where you're sitting, if you wanna confess your faith in Christ and make, make sure that you've repented of your sin, that means to just acknowledge I'm a sinner and I've walked contrary to God. I deserve death and hell because of my sins. Um, but because the Lord is loving and kind, I'm gonna accept his free gift. Uh, I'd like to pray that prayer of confession of acceptance with you right now. If that's you, just between you, me and the Lord with everybody else's heads bowed, would you just acknowledge that and lift your hand and give me a quick wave and let me just acknowledge you if I see you, good. I see you there and you right there and you, good. Let me just look around and over here, cool. Don't let me miss you, back over there, cool. You, you guys in the back, right here, awesome, awesome. Anybody else over here? Cool, I'm just gonna pray this prayer of confession of faith. It really comes from what the scriptures say is required, but it can't be just be like a magical incantation you say with your mouth. It, it really has to come from your heart to accept Jesus. That's, that's the part that's required of us. It's called faith, to believe. And let's just confess that faith right now. Let's pray. I'm gonna ask all church to pray this out loud right now. Dear Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose up from the grave. Thank you for saving me. Help me to walk with you in Jesus' name, amen. And Lord, I pray blessing on these folks that just confessed their faith, Lord. I pray that they would know their sins are forgiven and that they would just have a new uh, desire just to walk in just the goodness of the hope that we have of just that eternal life, that this is as bad as it's going to get this time on earth for us. And we can look forward to heaven. Lord, I pray that we would let our light shine before this whole world. Lord, may Athey Creekers not just go away from a sermon on hell, just only glad we're not going there, but also Lord, realizing there's still many people who are headed to destruction. Give us a heart of compassion as you have, Lord, for the unsaved. And may we be bright lights in this dark world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.